Here's a quote from a rather dated book now. It's called A Charismatic Theology, and it's written by a German Catholic charismatic called Herbert Mullen. I just like it. And it has no particular relevance. I just like it. And it goes like this. If I am to speak for God, sorry, if I am to speak from God, I must first make myself completely dependent upon him. Surrender myself to him. Listen to him. For God does not use me as a talking machine, but he will use my feelings, my will, my mind, my mouth, in order to speak to those present. I like this quote, actually, because in terms of being engaged in the ministry of prophecy, it's telling us that uh, it's for human beings to do. It involves the whole person that we are. Do you remember the first early days of charismatic renewal in the UK where we had uh, prophecies or words of knowledge? I can still remember being in Kingsway Evangelical Church in Crosby in Liverpool, which had an elder called David Elms, lovely guy, and a thick Scouser accent. And, you know, he'd be really thick, and he'd say, yeah, just had a word from the Lord, and I'm going to share it. And suddenly he would say, thus saith the Lord, <laughs> thou shalt knowest, and vouchsafest, and he used to get lost in this King James, glorious King James, Cranmerian kind of language. Because all the scousers were scratching their bonnets thinking, is this in tongues or is this in English or what? <laughs> and the reason I joke about it is, we think we have to put something on in order for God to use us. Well, actually, it's quite the reverse. It's like we've got to take something off. The falsities, the pretenses, the games playing, the dishonesties. Uh, the kind of naive oversights that we sometimes bring and be as best we can the genuine, authentic article. Prepare to get it wrong now and then. And so I like Mullen for the way he wants to say it's going to be all of you, uh, all of our brokenness, all of our talentedness. But did you notice where it says it begins with absolute surrender to God? This is so essential, I think, in any of the ministries, of course, Maybe especially so in prophecy because we have the audacity, or is it faith? We have the cheek, or is it the obedience? To dare to believe that what we're going to give, however ordinary it might sound, is from God for you. That's a huge claim. Not that we're claiming it, but in standing back and delineating it, that's what we're about when prophecy is happening, isn't it? And you listen to these people with their accents and foibles. And yet, I've known some people who sadly couldn't pronounce their R's until they spoke in tongues. And suddenly it all got bypassed. But in prophecy, God wants you to miss your R's. He wants the authentic you. Because it's far more powerful that this treasure actually passes through earthen vessels, not highfalutin special vessels. And I did say in one of my earlier presentations that we must beware that prophecy doesn't become the pussycat of the church, that we make it some cuddly something we do inside of church. Maybe that's being rather demeaning. I don't mean it to. But it can become that if we're not careful. And so I do think it has to have this kind of tension of uh, for the gathered community 
and also for those who don't are not yet part of us, that we go out there prophetically, not making pronouncements on people's lives, but hearing what God wants saying from him to those communities. And there are ways that we can solicit this. One very easy way I've found, and it probably won't apply to most of us, uh, and that is that I actually lead pilgrimages to Celtic holy sites all over this country. And I've been doing it for many years. Uh, Because God started teaching me lessons that people are more prepared to be open on holy sites than any other sites. And I'm talking about everybody, not just cracker Christians like, like we are. Ordinary people. In 19, this is a really old story now, but I am getting on. Uh, in 1995, just before I became the director of ACORN, they paid for me to have a sabbatical, which I thought was very visionary of them, before I started the job. So I decided I would spend six weeks on my own backpacking to Celtic holy sites in the highlands and islands of Scotland. And as this year, so then, I went to my most favourite place. It became my most favourite place. And it's called Ninian's Cave near Galloway. Have you been there? Isn't it special? I can come and cuddle you later then. All right. Uh, this was actually a prayer cell that, that we are reliably informed became a place of prayer in approximately 420 AD. When a man who was trained at saint Laurent down towards the Mediterranean of southern France on an island there, came to evangelize the wild pigs. This is long before Columba came to Iona, which is a significant thing to say. His name is Ninian. It's not his real name. It's Latin for light bearer. They nicknamed him Ninian, saying he was the light of Christ in this darkened place. And he had a monastic community about, let's say, two miles up the road in a place called Whithorn, which is ancient Saxon for the White House. So we had it first, oh, American brothers and sisters. But he'd come to this prayer cell as often as he could, often for a month, and just pray. It's got a wonderful view, even though some of it's caved in and they've tidied it up. It's got this wonderful view out to sea. Now, just in case you think he's trying to be the poet laureate in his cave praying, you have to realize that the motorways of the ancient world were the seas, not the land. They were very busy places on the intercoastal lanes. So he would look at people on journey and he would pray for them. And when he died, people came to make her a place of pilgrimage. They even carved crosses on the wall, starting in 560 AD. And it's a place that had standing crosses inside until the archaeological department tidied it up, or shall we say, tarted it up, and took the standing stone crosses and put them in a museum in Whithorn. They're still splendid, but they don't kick like they used to as they stood in the cave mouth. Have you got the picture? The inside of this fissure of a cave is as big as the room we had lunch in. It's quite a big piece. I'm sitting there, and you know, I can be holy as long as I don't have to share it with anybody. I'm sitting there being holy, and I saw this couple coming along the coastline. And I thought, people, that's a... I know you don't think that way. I know some of you go, oh, a chance to evangelize. I'm not like you. I came out and sat outside, and they went into this thing. I don't know, two, three minutes later, uh, the lady, whose name is Shelley, comes out backwards like this. I thought she was looking for the carved crosses, which are hard to find at first. 
So in order to be helpful and hurry them up, I said, excuse me, love, but uh, you have to stand back to see the crosses. And she fell on the floor screaming at the top of her voice, which is not what I wanted. (laughs) Now use your imagination. Husband who was six foot three is inside the cave. His wife is outside the cave. Also outside the cave is a hairy man with a long red beard, which was me back then. And your wife is screaming. What would you conclude? I did too. So when he came out to rescue her, I said, I'm just sitting here, minding my own business. I have not touched her at all. By which time she had dusted herself off, tidied herself up and looked at me and said, I've got to know, how did you know about my life? Excuse me, how? I've got to know, how did you know about my life? And of course, part of me wants to go. <laughs> but the honest truth is, I had no clue what she was on about. And that's where I told her, I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do, she said. How did you know that I've been running away from God all these years? I said, have you? <laughs> she said, I have. And the husband was saying, all right, dear, we'll go now. No, she said, I want to know. And I said, what's going on? She said, I used to teach in the Sunday school in my local church. And uh, my mother got cancer. In fact, it was very painful. So I prayed that she get healed. She didn't. So I prayed the pain would go down. It didn't. I prayed she'd hurry up and die. And it took ages. As a matter of fact, she said, my mother died screaming her guts out. And I thought, if that's what God is like, he can shove it. And I said, and you're here today for? And she said, I'm just walking in the coastline of the United Kingdom, raising money for friends of the earth. And I said, really? She said, yeah, but I went into that, whatever that is, she said. And I heard the voice of God. And God said to me, Shelley, give me your mother's scream. I had to get out of there, she said. And I'm backing out, and I heard this voice behind me saying, stand back and see the cross. (laughs) It was too much, she said. I just couldn't take any more of this. So how did you know? I said, I was just trying to be helpful. I I wanted to stay here and pray here, because it's such a wonderful presence of God for me anyway in this holy place and I just wanted it all to myself how selfish of me and she said well it spoke right into my heart and I felt it was God speaking a word to me so I wised up then and I said um, so what are we going to do with what you think well I can't can I and I'm sitting there praying my socks off in the mini seconds we've got in this conversation. Oh God, don't let me be a preacher. Give me wise words, timely words. What shall I say? But of course on the outside I'm going, so what is it you think you should do with this? And she said, I don't know. Have you got any advice? And her husband keeps saying, we're going now. We're going. (laughs) Just wanted to thump him. (laughs) And as, as we're in this moment, all this is happening, as you can appreciate, in seconds more than minutes, I just said, You probably won't want to hear this, but I feel it in my heart to give it you. What's that, she said. 
I said, your mum had good company when she died. What? I said, Jesus died screaming his guts out. And he asked his father, why? And he got no answer, just like you. Oh, but there's one difference. She said, what's that? I said, Jesus isn't stuck. Because in the dark, it says, he gave to God his spirit into your hands. He did that in the dark if you read the Gospels and put the narratives together. Okay? Cloud comes down. He's hid from view. And his voice says, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. No answer to his healing question. No choir singing lovely, sacred, sankey hymns or choruses and all the rest of it. Just darkness. But something in Jesus told him, even though I've got no answer to my question, it's better to trust than get stuck. So he gives nothing, the nothing he's got to God. You've been there? No answer to your questions? But are you tempted to say, I ain't coming out to play unless God tells me why or does this and does that? Well, Jesus has been there before us. And it does say he screamed. In fact, the Roman Catholic teaching is far more better than some evangelicals because they pick up that reference twice mentioned in Matthew where it says, and once again, Jesus uttered a loud cry. It's not a very nice thing to be talking about in a healing service, is it? But aren't you glad we got a screaming Jesus? Are you? Not some kind of cheap, triumphalistic Jesus who took hold of sin and said, naughty boy. You know, it, it took it out on him. And even Jesus says, why? Why, why, why aren't you there anymore? Where have you gone? And the theologians in us want to say, well, although you're feeling this great darkness, in reality and theologically, God is always ever-present, you know. And you have people who come along and tell you these truths, don't you? And you just want to do something nasty to them and all of that. Anyway, I just focused on the piece I'm telling you, not to get carried away with it. I said to Shelley, Jesus died screaming. And she just sat there. And the husband once again said, well, we better go now, dear. So I looked at him and said, where do you guys live? And he said, oh, uh, Tunbridge Wells. And I said, oh, I don't suppose you know the Christian hospital there called Burswood. And he said, yes. And I said, what's that about? And he said, well, I'm a dentist. And the director, who was then a friend of mine called Dorothy, uh, Dr. Gareth Tuckwell, he said, I do his teeth. And I said, well, every Thursday they have a healing service. It's Anglo-Catholic in its context because um, I don't know what your context is. It's extremely reflective and totally powerful. Angels are often seen in those healing services of Burswood. I said, why don't you go to the healing service and give your mother's scream back to God, just like he told you to? You don't have to say a word, but just being there. Write it down if you want. I have no answer to my question why, but Jesus gave the dark away. I'm giving the dark away so I can move on. And Gareth phoned me up some months later and said, do you know a certain couple called? And it was them. And they went there and she gave her mother scream to God. She even wrote a book about it, so I'm in a book. And all of that, although not mentioned by name, by my request. But what I'm fascinated by is these encounters that sometimes we have with people passing by that seem to happen in holy places. I could tell you endless number of stories where this has happened to me and my bunch. I took seven Americans to Monasterboys. Anybody been there? You been there, girl? Come on my pilgrimage next year then. 
It's uh, near Dundalk in Dublin, founded by St. Boise. And he didn't come from Brooklyn. He came from Ireland. And uh, it's got the highest standing ancient stone cross in the world. There, It's 19 feet high. And these Americans came there. And one of them pointed out to me that under the arm of the cross is the right hand of God. It's actually looking down on you like this. And this rhema, this prophetic word, if you like, came to me. And I said, do you know, if we want the hand of God on our lives, we have to come under the power of the cross, don't you think? So I said, as a way of saying yes to that truth, I said, would you like to come and touch this cross? And I'll pray over us that the hand of God is with us on this pilgrimage journey. So all seven of them, all in the healing ministry, all very experienced in the healing ministry, we do this. But when we finished, I suddenly realized we were not alone. There was over a hundred other people visiting the site, most of whom had stopped what they were doing to watch this bizarre group of seven or eight people do a maypole-shaped prayer around this cross. So I turned to them and said, you're probably wondering what all this is about. So, but do you notice on this cross, the right hand, etc.? I said to my friends here, if you want God's hand on your life, you have to come under the cross. I said, do you want God's hand on your life? For whatever that's to be. And if so, why don't you lot come and touch this cross and my friends and I will pray over you for that to happen. Are you interested, said I, to this mixed response group of people from granddads to teenagers. Every single one of them touched that cross. And we prayed for every single one of them that the hand of God would come upon their lives. And our half hour visit became a three hour visit. There are some times when the encounter with the community beyond is more easily conducted in holy places. But unfortunately for the majority of people, we don't live in holy places. But the principle I have found that started on those journeys for me, I'm still involved in today. And we were sharing about how we take this prophetic contribution in word or picture and action to the community beyond us, uh, which and whom we serve. And so when we do prayer walking now, it's not looking for things that, that need the deliverance from demons. We're not looking for the things to go at for God necessarily. But it's a listening walk. Lord, what is it you want to tell us about what goes on in here? And how do you want us to engage with that? And part of that listening process has often been talking to the people who lived in that part of our parishes when we did this and getting involved rather like we did in Londonderry, the story I told you with Isaac Thompson and company uh, earlier. And so consider, will you, ways in which we can take this prophetic openness to God and give it away to the community that we serve and find ways of interaction. Now we have biblical warranty for this. Because there's so many references, are there not, in the Psalms. Go about the walls of the city and pray for the peace of the city. Is Mike Cossa here today? Are you here, Mike? He said he was moving away, but he said he might be here today. Mike was here in November. Do you know Mike? Don't shudder. Do you know Mike? Yes, okay. Well, he was here when I did the Blessing Day last year. And God spoke to him 
uh, prophetically about taking the blessing ministry to the shopping malls. And so he wrote, to me, he wrote to me and said, have you got any suggestions of how I can take this blessing ministry prophetically? Similar journey to prophecy, if you like. And so I made one or two suggestions, and so Mike started doing the shopping malls of um, Coventry and the area where he lived and other places. He even did this in New York when he was... Sorry? You got it. You got done. The Castle way. Yeah. But, but to simplify it, is it, yeah, to simplify it, he, he, he would go into a shop and see the manager and say, come here, and with your permission, I'd like to bless your work and your staff. Some of them have told him to get on his, on his bike. Others have shut the shop and cut the entire staff. So he's worked his way through you know, almost the entire staff of Tesco's, Morrison's, and others. Even a funeral director's place, he blessed them to flourish in the way that God wants <laughs> them to flourish. He wrote me a list. He was very honest with this list, incidentally, of how many no's and how many yeses. But you know his yeses run into over 700 shops. 700 shops, and some of which he goes back to. And like you intimated, my friend, and thank you that you're here, uh, the kind of conversational aspect he had. Now, this is very prophetic. It's not coming along and saying, give me a prophetic word. It's, give me a prophetic application of my ministry that's in the community. And you know, whether you're a Christian or not, a Christian faith or other faiths, innate in human nature is the need, never mind the desire, to flourish and be blessed. And it's totally inoffensive, blessing people, because blessing ministry in particular is to be so for their well-being. And they know that before you open your mouth. They're not quite so sure about that when you pray for their healing. But they do know that in blessing. And so Mike decided this was his calling. And wherever he's moved to, he said, he, he sends me loads of emails now because he seems to be on a real wave of doing this ministry. He's even written uh, blessing books of, on the Beatitudes. I was going to mention that. Excuse us, just chatting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, in terms of reaching people beyond the parish boundaries, to use that Anglican terminology, it's become extremely effective for him to do this, even though he's had rejections, but that's par for the course, isn't it? Now let's jump from the Mike Cosses of this world to the great inspiration of Jesus, who has this interesting, I think, prophetic declaration to a community in Luke 13, repeated in Matthew's Gospel, slightly different context, but both to do with battling with what the church leaders want in the way they connect with community. And that's when he comes out with those words, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets, how often I wanted to gather you in like a hen does her chickens, but you wouldn't have it that way. And you will not be able to, to know me until you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as I used to examine that passage and try to unpack it, I asked myself, what actually is going on here? Is this Jesus having a divine paddy? You know, is he basically saying, you know, to this lot, you lot, something me off because you won't respond to my ministry. And he's speaking in that kind of negative, denunciatory way. I think it's actually far more prophetic than that. I think he's echoing in this prophetic way, verbally, back to a community, its own DNA. 
if you were to look around this city of Lemmington's Bar and look at all the dynamics that shape the people who live in it and ask yourself, what are the common factors that seem to crop up everywhere in this town, irrespective? What would they be? The good stuff, of course, because if you do not celebrate the good, it shrinks through lack of affirmation. So there's an affirmatory aspect of prophecy as well. We should practice. We'll do a bit of that later. And what is it that shapes the people in this community that in effect bends them out of shape? And some of that is legacy stuff from what's happened in the past. We may have lost contact with the event in the past, but we are recycling its legacy freshly in the present. And so what Jesus is doing in Jerusalem is saying, this is what shapes the people who live in this very old city. They've got a consistent record of rejecting the prophetic word, which is why they can't spot the light of the world when it's shining the blaze of day right in front of them. And nothing's going to change until they get the capacity to be open to God and say, bless it. I'm sure that shocked a few people uh, in his community, and I'm sure it waked up a lot of people in his community. And so part of the prophetic word, to go from, if you like, the Mike Cosser blessing example, or the Holy Sight blessing, is maybe to say, as I walk this town, and as God begins to reveal to us what are the shaping factors that, that, that shape and formate the people who live in this community, what is to be my response? And that becomes prophetic engagement and action in the community. There's only 41 more points to my third talk I have now to make, but because you're such a nice bunch of people, I'm going to sort of shorten it down because I, I need to get this piece out of me because it's so normal and ordinary. But one of the most powerful factors, I think, in Jesus the prophet and Jesus the redeemer and Jesus the healer and Jesus the savior and Jesus who is God manifest is his amazing capacity to listen accurately to himself, to know what's his stuff, to God, who inspires all he did. Everything I do, he says, I only do what I see dad doing. And also listening to others. And listening is something that we assume we're good at. Uh, I was one of those people back in the 80s who had the honor of setting up possibly some of the very first counseling centers in this country staffed by Christians. Uh, there were lots of secular counseling resources emerging. Very, very few Christians. I think we, we founded the fourth, and it was in a village called Ibstock in Leicestershire. We used the Baptist manse there uh, as our center. And when we were training people to be part of our team, they had to have a recommendation from their incumbent or priest and invariably what we had was so-and-so is a great listener. What that really meant, we found out for some people, was they had a lot to say. And the assumption was they must be good listeners. And I find those two things don't normally go together. Good listening is hard to come by. Uh, I don't do it easily. I have to work at it and keep working at it. And my wife reminds me when I fail to keep working at it. You teach about this and yet you haven't heard me. Which is when I want to go and quietly garrote myself in slow motion. <laughs> no, I'm just joking with you. But you have to work at listening. But I want to tell you something about this. I would say it's probably the most powerful resource in healing and reconciliation 
and the, and the gifts of the Spirit. Um, it's, it's very interesting, you know, if you're interested in Greek, you know it says in the list of the nine charismatic gifts, to one is given this, to another that. The word another um, is mentioned three times in those nine charismatic gifts, and there are two Greek words for another. I know you're dying to know this. Uh, and there's one called um, another of the same kind, which is alos, and another of a different kind. And it's the other of a different kind when it comes to this list of healings, prophecies, faith, and miracles. And as I've said, well, what other kind of person does, this, does God have in mind, so to speak, that are going to excel in these particular gifts, which are vocal gifts? They're all spoken in some way. And I think it's people who can listen well in order to speak accurately into people's lives. Oh, to have the word as opposed to any old word religiously dumped upon people. Oh, to have the honed, sharp, clean word from Jesus that I have passed through me in prophetical sharing rather than just dumping what feels like, you know, good something or other, which is basically a kind of compost upon people, but to have the word that sustains the weary. Some examples in Jesus. I love this piece in Luke 7. This is what the um, Good News Bible calls the story of the well-known woman. You know, there were three women who anointed Jesus before he died. They're all different people. Uh, And this one must not be confused with the other two. So the Good News Bible says, a well-known woman in the district, upon hearing that Jesus was in town straightway, Mark loves and Luke loved the straightway word, straightway went to see Jesus and breaks it all open. I remember preaching on this in Lichfield Cathedral not so long ago, and I said to the guys in the congregation, guys, do you know what it means in the Bible when it says a well-known woman? And if you do, would you please put your hands up? Do you know none of the men in that congregation (laughs) had the faintest idea what it meant when it said well-known woman? Except that is for the Bishop of Stafford who was sitting behind me, who I saw there, and I said, well, the bishop knows. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? How do you know? Hmm, I wonder what's behind that. So can you imagine the relief on the guys in that room when she picks on Jesus and not them. Oh, thank goodness. She's gone over to Jesus. I mean, if she'd come to me, all the other guys would be saying, how come you know her? What's your previous relationship with this person? And so on. And she breaks open the jar. I've had all kinds of stories that mix her up with the two women. But you know, I think this is the ointment she used on herself to attract her customers. She didn't stop off at Sainsbury's and buy an extra nard bottle or two. Have you got an expensive jar of nard so Judas can complain about it? She just grabbed what was handy and goes to, make, to get Jesus. Is it getting a bit more graphic for you now? And she breaks it open in that enclosed space. You do wonder if the guys recognize the smell. And pulls it out over Jesus. And she don't say a single word. She's, it's all in the action and the emotion. And she wipes it all up with her hair, looking like a gorgon before she's through. And everybody's having a good look, just like we would have a good look at what is all this about. And the guy's house, a guy called Simon the Pharisee, 
is having a good look and he makes up his mind. He knows exactly what's going on here. And he makes a conclusion in his thinking heart and says about Jesus, if this man is the man he says he is, he would know what kind of woman he lets touch him, that she is a sinner. And unfortunately for Simon, Jesus listens to what we even think about. And so after a little bit of dialogue about the comparative sizes of love and forgiveness, asked Simon what appears at first glance to be a stupid question. He says to him, actually he looks very specific, it says, looking at the woman, who's down the other end of him somewhere, looking at the woman, he says to Simon, who's somewhere around here, Simon, do you see this woman? I don't think he'd seen her at all. I think he saw a confirmation of his prejudices, a well-known woman, a prostitute from the town, messing up the moment, doing something, breaking boundaries, we might say, fellows, and some way like this. And she doesn't say to Jesus, you know, I'm on my third alpha, have mercy upon me. I'll get there in the end. It's just whatever the emotion was. Was it fear? Was it shame? Was it rage? I'm an anger of the system. Who knows what feelings? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus did. And she didn't say a word. You see the relevance of the very first exercise you did. Because he's decent to emotions. Seeing the actions. We were still, but she was anything but. And so when he had had this conversation with Simon, he turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Oh yes, there's the exhortation not to carry on in that kind of lifestyle. But he has the right words for the right moments. And even though the word isn't mentioned, it's all in the detail. It's because he's listening to the language of her life. Now part of the prophetic that was so excellent in Jesus was he was good at that. He was so good, whereas we get deflected by our assumptions and all the rest of it. Rather like the time I brought three Mormons to an evangelical prayer group. I mean, they did the equivalent of crossing themselves. When I came in and said, hello, this is Elder Criddle, Elder somebody, Elder Watsit, which is what they call themselves. These are three Mormon evangelists who visited my house today. I invited them to come uh, to our prayer meeting. And they're kind of looking at me saying, are you insane? You know what you're doing? You know, and they're looking down what I call the contamination scripts and all the rest of it, you see. One of the guys who was there said, well, it's obvious that uh, we're not welcome. And he turned to me and said, uh, why, why did you invite us? And I said, do you know, I don't know anything about you. I know you gave me a good speech and I don't happen to believe in what you're teaching. I said, but uh, do you know, I, I think you're lonely in your heart. And I think that one thing you've been looking for for a long time, I think that's why you, you do what you're doing right now. Because I saw drivenness in you. And I think you're, you so long to belong. And I wanted you to come so that you could belong to this group of caring Christians for the time you're over here in the USA. But I got that wrong, didn't I? And of course, they're all listening to this, whatever they were feeling. This guy said, how could you see that? How did you know? The other two elders hadn't got a clue. They looked up to him as the strong one. But inside, and he was 22 years old, this guy. You know, kind of Osmond-like features. Go weak at the knees if you wish. 
But inside of himself is this deep longing to belong. And God showed that to me. And I was just sorry that we couldn't respond to it as a community. Now, you have to ask yourself sometimes, why does the world stay away from us? I mean, you don't go to the vicarage unless you've got a problem, you want money, or you're a professional beggar. You, you, you never go because you're happy to be there. It's a need to be there. Is that true? It's still true in some ways. And people won't come into our churches. Not that the bad places. I love this space that God's been creating and developing amongst you. It is so welcoming, by the way. Re- really like that. But the world out there makes its assumptions about what we do in here. I remember when I was the director of Acorn, at the bottom of our half-mile drive is a petrol station. And I was paying for my petrol one day, and I thought, why not? So I said to the guy, do you know anything about the people who meet up that hill in the big house? Oh, he said, yes. I said, what did they do? He said, all kinds of uh, weird things. I said, really? Tell me. He said, well, it goes on at night, usually. And we can hear the sounds of it down here. They're up to no good. So I said, what do you mean they're up to no good? Well, we think they might be into witchcraft. This is the Christian healing center. <laughs> now, you complain about not having a place of your own. You're out in the public space. Thank God. No confusion. But they're making all these kind of assumptions, you know, about us uh, in that way. So as, he, as he's had his field day, I'm thinking, I've got to stop this. So I said, um, I run that place. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. He said, uh, I was just passing on what people said. I said, don't be sorry. I said, you're educating me. Because I thought we were brilliant. I thought the community would give its right arm to be part of us and to be with us. But they haven't got a clue what we're doing up here. And their proclivity is to think negatively. You do of the things you don't know, don't you? Because we're fallen people. It's our default position. Uh, And so... I thought, we've got to change the way we connect with our community. Well, we don't connect with our community. So we started the first stage, was working with the local hospital that we had over the wall. Here is Jesus the listener, picking up signals from people's actions and emotions. And although it's not said, just to give it in terms of process back to you, is listening to God saying, now what's the right words? that matches the need that those feelings and actions are telling me about. And that's called prophetic encounter and response. It's not just about having nice words. Do you get it? It's that kind of connection uh, with people. A couple of quick ones, and then I want to do some stuff with you, because time's almost gone. Listening also in Mark chapter 1 with the leper. This comes at the end of chapter 1, where we're told that this uh, leper stood at a distance, screaming at the top of his voice. And these are the words in the, in the New International Version of Mark 1. If you're willing, you can make me clean. That's a fascinating line to come out with, isn't it? Not, um, if you are able, you can make me clean. If you're willing. That, that, that tells me so much. Doesn't it? He doesn't seem to have any doubts at the capacity of Jesus to be a healer. He'd heard the stories. But you're going to heal me. I mean, I'm a leper. I mean, do you do lepers? Are you willing? And isn't it amazing the prayer that Jesus used? The only one on example, I think, in the New Testament. He takes the words of the supplicant, to use that language, and makes it a prayer. I am willing. Be clean. Oh, but there were two other things. 
It says he was moved with compassion. Compassion is that lovely word, ex blank nidzestai, which means a violent shaking of the ribcage. Today's New International Version translates it as indignant. Jesus was indignant, not with the man, but with what leprosy does to humanity, what sickness does to the human spirit. He's indignant about that. So he's getting involved emotionally. Can you see that? It's not dispassionate. There's something churning inside of him, but he doesn't let it get in the way. In fact, he uses it to stay connected. So the next thing is he lays hands on him. I'm sharing in what's happening here, and it's affecting me. But he doesn't come out with, I come against this in the name of Jesus. You know, in other words, being angry, and the guy gets all confused, possibly. Why are you angry? Why are you praying that way? He takes his words. I mean, who listens to lepers, eh? Who values any, any of their opinions in those days? And takes his own words and makes it a prayer. He'd never had that experience before. I think this guy was getting healed before he got cured. Don't you think? Whoa, my words. He uses. Hey. There's a little bit of encouragement there. So the prophetic listening here is, I don't think I'm going to say, be healed. I'm not going to say, well, depart from him. These are his long prayers, incidentally. He thinks, no, because I feel what I feel, and you're saying, are you willing? All that's invested in that, I think I need to change the words I'm going to use. And that's called prophetic responding. The way I normally work, I won't do for this one. And Jesus decides, I'll take your own very words, and I'll make them the prayer. And he still got healed. Because it's not just about curing, is it? It's about honoring, owning, embracing, connecting. And so his listening takes him there. Final one. In John 11, just before maybe he does the most spectacular healing of the New Testament, and that's speak to a a bag of bones and dust and tell it to walk out of the grave. The old joke is he had to name Lazarus because if he hadn't named him, they'd all have come out of the tombs, possibly. Just that one. You lot stay right where you are, kind of thing. (laughs) But he speaks out. But just before he goes there, with this prophetic pronunciation style of praying, he does something else. Rarely commented upon uh, by people teaching in the healing ministry. Verse verse 41 and 42. He suddenly pauses. And we only have it in the Bible because somebody listened to this and It got passed on to John in the the written records from the oral records. Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always listen to what I have to say. Now, humanly speaking, if we think Jesus is also modeling how to be involved in the healing ministry, humanly speaking, we can learn from this, can't we? Where does your confidence to do that outrageous praying come from, Jesus? Well, it comes from the fact that I know I have a heavenly Father who's totally interested in what I have to say and listens in his own deep spirit to my spirit, which means I'm able to share honestly with him all my limitations and doubts and hear his voice through all of that questioning saying, get on with it, son. I am with you in this particular one. 
And so he boldly proclaims those words. But he wants you to see that what fuels Christ, that we can pick from ourselves. Because we could easily say, well, he would do that, wouldn't he? He's God. A little advantage over me, that is. So I can't go anywhere near where he goes to. He's modeling for us process. And it's about depending on that listening aspect. And so sometimes in engaging with the prophetic ministry, and we've done a bit of it today in little ways, hopefully you're seeing where the dots are joining a bit now. For doing that in process, it was have a moment just to listen. What do you hear and feel about the person you're laying hands on? What's God just letting you and allowing you to be in touch with? And as that comes to you, and hopefully you're able to say, yes, it's not my stuff, it really is their stuff I'm picking up, as you listen to him, what's the prayer word, action, that comes from knowing what you now know? And so the action comes. I want to give you a graduation medal on listening to long talks well, because I do go on a bit, I know, but I want to end this session with just maybe one or two pieces to do. You kindly gave me a little bit to go over 3.30. Well, we're not there yet. This may sound artificial, but it's all part of learning those steps that we can then hone in uh, to the real when it comes. I've been touching, amongst other things in this final talk, about one aspect of prophetic giving is to encourage, to affirm, to celebrate. Do you remember all those minutes ago? I want to just do a biblical thing of encouragement. Let me tell you about it, and then you can make up your mind whether you want to do it or not, and the usual routine. I want to go back just for a moment to Acts 21 and that story of Agabus, the prophet who came down from Judea to meet Paul, who was about to go back on another journey, his last as it turned out, and knowingly including a visit to Jerusalem on his journey. He wanted to be there for Passover, if you remember. And Agabus took his belt off him, do you remember? And wrapped it around his own hands, not Paul's hands, like, like handcuff type things, I suppose, and said. And then he gives this word, doesn't he? Almost in the third person. This is what's going to happen to the person who was these. And it was a warning kind of word. Well, I want to change the focus, but do a similar procedure. The, pro- the, the purpose behind this is just to start developing more and more a capacity to really empathize with the people we're praying with and to pick that up prophetically. I want you, therefore, to get into twos, believe it or not, but not with anybody you've already twoed up with so far today. That's going to get really difficult now, isn't it? And what I'd like you to do with, within the bounds of logic and reason, I'm going to do a perhaps a slightly outrageous thing. But I want you to have, take a personal item that you've brought with you today. It can be your three keys to the kingdom. It can be your handbag, sorry, your handbag. Your crash helmet. Just spotted it. But something that's yours. And I just want you to show it to the person you're with. You might even want to say, this is, this is my handbag. Uh, just in case they don't recognize such things. Now, just to learn a process based on a biblical procedure. What I'd like you to do when you 
take a hold of the person's belonging is to just ask God this. Is there anything in this that you want to speak to to encourage them? Does it represent anything, symbolize anything? Does it connect with something that you want me to tell them? For example, if I was to show you all of my handkerchief, I had a nosebleed just before I got up to talk about money today. It's disgusting, isn't it? And if I chose to give you that, you might want to say the blood of Christ. I don't know. But you may, it's ridiculous, you might think, but you know, prophets do ridiculous things. I mean, Isaiah wrote beautiful poetic stuff, but he did strip off and lie on the streets for 18 months to say, this is what's going to happen to this community if we don't let God back in in supremacy. We'll become like captives who are stripped of their outer clothing, and so on. You're already going off being a prophet, aren't you? Who wants to go around, especially in this climate? Sometimes the crazy is actually the innovative. And so you might just get this thought and it becomes something that connects you with the truth. And I deliberately want us to trust God to give us something that's going to be an encouraging word. We're trying to look for something that encourages. Now, can we be absolutely honest with each other? The bottom line of this, if you want to take God out, the Holy Spirit out, the charism of prophecy out, the bottom line of this, we're just finding ways to encourage each other. And you can go home with just that if that's what you want to do. Or we could say, just like Agabus took something belonging to Paul and had an insight connecting piece, in Paul's case, a warning, which was helpful, by the way, because he didn't trust the leaders in the community he went to in Jerusalem. I want us to focus on encouragement. It's an aspect of prophetic ministry we need to get more practice of. So be asking God as they show you their something, Lord, is there something in this as you hold it that you want to just make a bridge of faith with and just share it for encouragement? Are you clear on what I'm asking you to do? Let's do it. Find your partner. Choose what it is you just want to show them. I'm only going to give you a maximum of about five minutes for this. It's just to learn a way of working. Make sure you have a partner. I see one or two people looking. Have you not got a partner, Sarah? Anybody still looking for a partner? Are you, sir? So take a hold of whatever it is they're showing you. Let them tell you just a little bit about it. And then just listen to God and say, is there something you want to tell me through this that will encourage them?
Just learn to go with that prompting you're getting, even if it's only a, a few words to begin with. You don't even have the entire script, just the beginning. Just learn to trust that beginning and see what follows. Excuse me interrupting you. If you could put power on the hand mic, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Should be through the first bit of sharing by now, and the second person be sharing. One more minute. Okay, if we could conclude what we're doing, and if you could give me your attention, I'd feel wonderfully affirmed. Okay. I'm going to take it as a good sign that I'm finding it hard to bring you back.
because it's my disposition. <laughs> okay, everybody. If I could have your attention, please. If my wife was here, she'd whistle the loudest whistle you've ever heard. <laughs> It's a simple opportunity to encourage each other, but actually engaging in prophetic words as part of ministry, especially prayer ministry with people, requires exactly what you're doing. It requires being in touch with that whole person, with your whole self. It requires listening to God so that you learn the difference between what you see and what you're to engage with. It requires that kind of prophetic anointing that you step out of faith and choose, I think this is the piece that God wants me to hone in on from what the person is or has been sharing. It requires listening to God so that I have the words that actually match what's been saying that helps them to feel built up or encouraged uh, or spoken to tenderly, to use that translation of uh, uh, in the Greek. A couple of examples. Who would like to share what you shared and what God said to you? Yes, go on. I've got to broadcast to the world. Go this on. lady that shared it. Go on then. I um, wasn't quite sure what I was going to take out of my bag and spotted my little bag <laughs> right. inside my yep. handbag. And obviously what spoke to this lady was... Um, what something Anna had shared with you or one of her quiet days about a butterfly that it's a representation of the Holy Spirit and right. it goes here and it goes there mm-hmm. and actually I'm and it, she says well, I'd like to know what's inside it I said well it's a bigger bag so we undone it and as what she said there's a prominent colour here which is purple mm-hmm. royalty and I'm actually carrying the Holy Spirit everywhere I go how does that make you feel to get that Jill? really encouraged it's encouraging well done you okay well because you're going to do something with this to conclude with anybody on the blue side (laughs) just to share what it was like for you what happened oh come on come on humor me is that you yes did I see a man put his hand up I was just right (laughs) no I was over here I was going to be is it you can you pass that along thank you I brought my sunglasses um, thinking, you know, shading God's light or, or hiding. And um, my friend here said reflecting. They're quite reflective and reflecting God's light. Yeah, simple, simple truth. And what did that do for you? Encouraging. It was encouraging. Mm-hmm. Here comes that biblical word again. Do you get the point? We're just learning a way of engaging with the whole person, listening to God And even if you want to dismiss this as saying, well, we're just saying nice things to each other, aren't we? Well, it's about time. (laughs) In some people's lives, a good word. Doesn't the scripture say that? It's like water in the desert. You'd be surprised how many people in your your congregations are still waiting. Or they hear our sermons and they see our songs and all the rest of it. But a personalized word from the king of kings to them, someone waiting a long time. How much more is that true for the society that has yet to know him and meet him? And who is going to carry that word in appropriate ways and actions but us? So, you know what's coming. I'd like you to stay in the same twos that you're in. 
if you can still remember what you said five minutes ago, that simple interpretive piece of encouragement you gave to them, the one who gave the word of encouragement, and I want you to give it back to them a second time, so the reflective piece that you said and the royalty piece that you said, but I want you to actually bless it to them. Something like this, but use your own words if you wish. But God bless to you the truth of whatever it was you said in your life today in Jesus' name. So you reflect God's spirit more. I bless that to you today in Jesus' name. I bless to you more deeply today that you know you serve a royal king. Do you understand it? In turn, just bless each other. Blessing is the focus. Just briefly, because time is rushing on. Remember when you bless, it's a pronouncement, not a request. So let God's authority come on the tip of your tongue. God bless to you, whatever that insight that you were given to share. Just each in turn, just briefly. One more minute. So make sure you've had that blessing pronounced over you and into you. Okay, if I could have your attention then, please, if you're finished blessing prayers, that is. We're almost there, good people. I can see the runway we need to land our plane on to keep on time. We've done a number of exercises here today. I suppose if we'd had more time, it would have been good then to do yet another twosome, so to speak, 
Uh, Woby could then go into put all the pieces together and actually say, this is what my prayer need is today, either for yourself or somebody else who's on your heart and mind. And when you come to pray this time, as well as praying for exactly what the person has asked, remember prophetic praying is not instead of praying for what they've asked for and you do your thing. Prophetic praying is, I focus on the person, I pray for exactly what they've asked prayer for and I'm faithful to that. But in that process of engaging with them is God giving me some awareness of maybe the emotional map they're coming from and I need to speak into that. And if so, what would those words be? Is God also wanting to bring some kind of scripture or word or some uh, exhortatory action, the kind of go and wash uh, equivalent of this uh, as I'm praying, still keeping on track with what they've asked prayer for? Is there some encouragement they actually need? And is something that they've got about them, maybe some belongings or something that they are, suddenly is speaking to me and God's saying, make sure that you touch into that. And so you join all that in a kind of rhythm of prayer. And you learn to do it spontaneously just to make life even more complex for you. You don't, as it were, say, excuse me, now I've prayed for you, I'm going into prophetic mode. Give me a moment. (laughs) It's all part of the dance of grace and faith. And you make it your own in the sense that you're a unique individual. And so although the principles are all there, because of the kind of character that you might be, it has something about you involved in it because he uses human beings, the whole of us, uh, in that particular way. So don't try and get rid of yourself in that negative sense, but use me, Lord, in whatever way you will. And I promise you, the more you get into the rhythm of this, and we've done all the component pieces here today, the more we get into the rhythm of it, the more detailed it starts to become on occasions, not all the time. You cannot switch it on as if you know, you're getting on your bat suit from your bat cave equivalent of praying. But that updraft of the spirit just comes and you learn, don't you? I'm just going with this now because I know what's going on here. This is God. And there'll be times when God will say, no, just be still. Just pray for what they've asked is enough for the moment. And there'll be other times when you have that urgency, that impulse, that nudge of the Spirit. You have to trust those kind of intuitive moments. Lean into the wind of the Spirit and let it go and move with it. When I got involved in this more and more, I had all the usual doubts of how do I know I'm right? And you know, I felt God saying, let's not bother with that, whether you're right or wrong. You just bother about being obedient to what's going on. You won't get it all perfectly right, but if you're going to stop until you do, do you know what happens? Nothing. You, don't, you stop permanently. So you learn and you get better at stuff, don't you? And as long as you're honoring the person, not taking over their lives and being over-directive in the wrong sense, or making them promises you weren't given to give. You know, if you do this, God's going to do that. Well, you know the law of prophecy, don't you? You better be right. If not, me and my gang are going to come and get you. And, and as I say, prophetic work is, is usually to build up, to exhort, and to speak tenderly to where people are really wounded and they hear the voice of God through us to encourage as well as to release.
So the next time you pray with someone, because our time's really gone, although I'd love to do it, but I'm keeping faith with the timetable. You don't mind if people... Just having a moment. <laughs> Stick your hands up if you've come with a prayer need here today. And you would like prayer, either for yourself or somebody else that you are hoping to get prayed for today. Okay, if you'd like to remain a bit, we'll get some of us, if you want to join us, and just either observe or, or you do the praying and we'll support you in it, but we'll take part in this. But I'll, I'll end this sort of uh, corporate piece here. I thank you for coming. Uh, I hope it's been a good day for you and you learned at least one thing that was worth getting out of bed for today. And that God will bless and enhance and encourage the peace you take and plant it in good soil in your life and ministry. Amen. Thank you.